Welcome to Subway Sports Talk. Dan, 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 clear of the closing doors, please. Welcome to Subway Sports Talk. My name is Peter Kennedy, and I'm your host. Thank you so much as always for tuning in to SST on Apple Podcasts, app, Spotify, and on YouTube. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, subscribe, notification bell on YouTube because we appreciate when you guys tune in. Appreciate when you guys check in at Subway Sports Talk on the social medias this football season, and there's no better time to be a sports fan. However, joining me today, my guy Pat Boyle, as we'll be talking all football season, Pat. However, it was a great day to be a sports fan, except for all the negative things that happened in our sport fan lives. Brutal. So, Pat, what's up, my guy? What's up, Pete? I mean, look, week one's in the books, dude. Just get me to week two, right? Bill Belichick, we're on to week two. Any que- Honestly, any question you ask me on this podcast today, I might just go, we're on to week two. Because all the excitement, all the joy, all the passion, all the positive feelings that you that we got back with, with the NFL, with the week one, with football being back here, you were reminded of all the negative feelings, all the mm-hmm. anger, fantasy football, losing my matchup because I, I started Devonta Smith, who got a whopping zero points instead of Terry McLaurin. That cost me an L, losing bets because of kickers, you know, <laughs> watch, having to watch the Jets play for three hours was pain enough. So, <laughs> but look. We're on to week two. Football is yeah. back. There was so there was so much excitement that the end of that one o'clock window was incredible. So let's talk about it. It was honestly, it really was off the charts. And it's important that I, I don't think we stressed it enough in week one. But listen, people are grown ups. It doesn't take you and I to let people know that they need to be smart with their money. Obviously, right? We hope that they are. In week one, you can't blow your load. It's just like at the end of the season in week eighteen. You can't like expect to house a bunch of bets because you don't know which team cares. You don't know this. You don't know that. Week one's the same thing. Like, look at some of these losses. And Mark Shanlugan, our partner on the bets for the year, he called it perfectly. He called the San Francisco minus 300 money line an absolute bomb that was waiting to blow up. And he didn't know it was going to monsoon, I'm sure. However, the monsoon caused the bomb. It's, it's silly to put all your eggs in the week one basket from a betting standpoint, from a fan standpoint from a fantasy standpoint, because in reality, this hardly means a lot. And we're going to get into that. So why don't we, Pat, first give a quick breakdown of the plan for today. So what we're going to do is we're going to recap our week one bets quickly, go through some of our wins, some of our losses. We're going to play a little game about week one. I'll save that for a minute. Then our following segment is going to be a fun one. I really like this idea here. We're going to take a preseason take from our podcast that we did just two two weeks ago. We're going to take that. We're going to pick one that we want to double down on and another preseason take that we're willing to rethink and are actually nervous about that we don't think is an overreaction, something that we think we might have gotten wrong, perhaps. And then we'll talk some general winners, losers, overreactions on week one and look forward to just a matchup or two in week two, obviously, with our bets to come later in the week. Uh, So that's that's the plan. But that hasn't been my only good plan lately because you always need to have some wireless earbuds on the ready. And I have. That's been my plan to have them on me at all times because I've been listening to a lot of podcasts lately. I mean, it's football season. I need to hit on the regular stuff, the gambling stuff, the fantasy football stuff. I've been listening to the Ringer Fantasy Football Show a lot. And whether I'm walking my dog or at my desk, my Raycon wireless earbuds are always on the ready. And Raycon's everyday earbuds look, feel, and sound better than ever. 
And I know one really big thing for all you people out there who say earbuds aren't comfortable. They fall out of my ears. Well, these ones have optimized gel tips and a multitude of options for the perfect in-ear fit. They're comfortable. They don't fall out. I'm walking, I'm running, I'm sitting down. I mean, I hope they don't fall out when I'm sitting down, but they don't. And they give you eight hours of playtime plus a 32-hour battery life with the charging pack that fits right in your pocket. And Raycons are priced just right. You need that high-quality audio, whether it's a podcast or music. You need it. Everybody wants it. And these, you get the quality audio with half the price of those other premium audio brands. It's no wonder Raycon's Everyday Earbuds have over 50,000 five-star reviews. One reason I absolutely love these Raycon earbuds is because of the awareness mode. I told you I'm walking my dog all the time. I need to hear my surroundings. I need to know if somebody's calling me, something's happening out in the park, right? I also am at my desk. If my boss walks in, I need to not be staring at my computer with isolation mode on, missing out on everything he's saying to me. I need to know he walked in my room, right? So you get the option of awareness mode, but then when you're tapping in late night, you're listening to that new album, you're playing some Madden, listening to a podcast, you lock in, you turn in the noise isolation, and you are off. That's why I love Raycons, and you can too. If you go to buyraycon.com today and use the code TBPN15 to get 15% off your Raycon order, that's code TBPN15 at buyraycon.com to score 15% off. Buyraycon.com, code TBPN15. So, Pat, why don't you go first? Or how about this? I'll do Shen Lugan's picks first, and then you can go on your picks, and I'll do mine at the end. So, Mark Shen Lugan, he is a first-time picker on the Subway Sports Talk picks game that we're going to do all season long, all 18 weeks of the regular season, every week of the playoffs, the Super Bowl, you guys get the point. So the start combined, all three of us, 5-10. and Not exactly the start we were hoping for. We have good aspirations, and we are planning on being better. Of course, we're trying to win our damn bets. So 2-3 and for Mark Shanlugan. Some of the picks that he was making, as he made them, and I, I feel bad doing this with him not being here, but as he made them, he was going money line parlay, money line parlay, money line and a prop bet together. And I was like, you know what? That week one money line vibe is just so scary because you'd never know what type of wildness is going to happen. So here's Mark's bets. He went Ravens and Bengals money line parlay at minus 118. And the Bengals lost in overtime with multiple chances to win. I know he's upset about it. He couldn't stop texting us about it on Sunday afternoon and evening. So that was one L for him. Took the Colts money line and a Derrick Henry anytime touchdown. He was mad that the Colts tied because that would technically be a push and you know DraftKings or et cetera would revamp your odds and pay you out uh, accordingly. Derrick Henry also didn't score another L. That's 0 for 2. Titans money line, Broncos money line. That's two money line Ls of decently big favorites, five points and six points. So that one hit miss. And then finally, two of his last two picks, he hit Chargers plus three and a half and Saints money line. Saints was a nail biter. Chargers wasn't too much better. And that, but still a hit. Wins a win. Vikings plus seven and a half. Commanders plus four and a half. In his leg of the commanders plus four and a half. And my leg, Jaguars plus nine, both touching. So that was okay. So that was Shen's first uh first week of picks. Pat, any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I, I can't really complain because you know, shoulda, coulda, woulda. You know, I feel like we all could have we would we could have won a combined 13 and 2 we could have won a combined 12 and 3 and i know a lot of people are feeling salty and feeling angry about their bets in week 1 just goes to show you i mean you said it you can't blow your load so you got to be smart you got to realize i think more so than ever last year i know it was historic 
in terms of the NFL underdogs. 12 dogs last year in week one covered the spread. That tied, that was a record most in any opening week in the Super Bowl era. And nine pulled off outright upsets. That tied a record. And we had plenty of upsets um, in terms of yes, uh, Sunday's games as well. Falcons covered. Bears covered and won. Steelers covered and won. Lions covered. Um, Dolphins, I'm looking at here, the first favorite to cover and win. Ravens also covered. Commanders, that spread was what? Uh, two and a half or three, I forget. But they, they, the Commanders covered. We just happen to have teasers in that regard. Yeah, Texans covered. Um, Giants covered and went outright. So, you know, there was plenty, plenty of dogs. And then, of course, on Monday night, Seahawks, Broncos. But, um, yeah, I think Mark, you know, Mark had a decent strategy. You know, you get two big faves that you like. And it just comes down to who's who's going to screw it up. And we say all the time, you know, how's it going to happen? And right. all the football we saw on Sunday and on Monday night, you know, goes to show you nothing's ever a given. Yeah, exactly. And right before you go, I'll just say, I know Mark, he is a person who has his values of betting, right? Like he is not going to come out here next week and get scared off his money line parlays. He's not going to get scared off his teasers. He That's how he bets, right? And that is one of the most important things you can do as a better. It's something that I really took pride on last year that I comboed straight bets and teasers. And that's what I did all year long with consistent thinking, right? So Mark's not going to come out here with five straight bets next week. That's not who he is. He's going to stick to his strategy and he's going to hope that it turns out how he expected week one to go. And that's really a great thing to remind yourself every week that it's process over results. If you think that you made the right pick because of what you watched on the field, what just could have happened at the end of the game, et cetera, you can't beat yourself up over that pick because you think you made the right pick. You might have made the right pick. It's just a game and it's just football that causes four points, seven points, three points, one point to swing out of your favor and you get a loss. So Pat, why don't you hit us with your week one recap? Yeah, so the first one was I told you my most confident and it hit with ease. Ravens minus two and a half, under 52 and a half. As we expected, the only thing that was a surprise was Joe Flacco throwing the ball 59 goddamn times. You know, just as a side here, if Mike White's not under center, I don't know what the hell Joe Douglas and Robert Sala are doing uh, because I've seen enough of this statue Flacco and him throwing the ball 59 times. I mean, at least get somebody that's young and has a lively arm. You know, Flacco had a, had a cannon when he was in Baltimore, but he, he doesn't anymore. I mean, there was plenty of zip that was missing from his passes. So that was the easiest one. Jets only scored nine points. Ravens win by 15. Colts, minus two and a half and over 39 and a half. You can make the argument this really never should have even had a chance at hitting. But then again, Indianapolis comes all the way back. 17 unanswered in the fourth quarter. They tie the game. They have a chance to win it. And Rodrigo, blank and shit, can't hit a field goal. They wave him. Goggles is off the team. I'm not upset about it. You know, I've never liked him. I think he's just repulsive to look at. So that one... (laughs) That one loses because the Colts can't hit a, you know, can't hit a field goal. Common theme. Titans money line and the under 52 and a half. Yet again, Giants down 13 nothing at the half. The fucking Giants down 13 nothing at half. I mean, the years past, Pete, that's a 30-point loss. They never even come close to waking up. Not only do they wake up, Brian Dayball shows everybody I've got the biggest balls potentially in the league or one of the biggest sets, goes for two and gets it. And then again, Randy Bullock shanks the with a game-winning field goal that would have hit the bet. Um, there's another loss. Raiders plus 10 and a half. Nailed it with the touchdown. Over 44 and a half. If they get the two-point conversion, it hits. They do not. 
24-19 is the final. The over misses by the two-point conversion. That's another loss. And then, of course, Monday night, Broncos minus two and a half, over 36 and a half. Even if McManus hits that field goal, it's only 36 points. They would have won 19-17. Would have been a loss anyway. But, I mean, Jesus Christ, can we fucking hold on to the football at the goal line one time, maybe? Can we hold one on time. to the football at the goal line one time? So, one and four. You can tell I'm angry. I, I feel like I should be five and oh. But, you know, hay is for horses, crying for babies. <laughs> that is correct. And based off of some of those tough beats right there, right? Like, you kind of want to say, I because those are gimmies. Those are some of the better kickers in the league too. Like if you think about blanket chip, he's been good so far in his career. Clearly something's up. They told him to go kick rocks instead of footballs. Now, uh, even Randy Bullock is a guy you expect to hit. It wasn't even, wasn't a, a 62 yarder. It, it was a reasonable, uh, field goal to expect. And the Broncos was just frustrating them not going for it. Like you said, the over would have missed if McManus hit anyway, yada, yada. It is what it is. I feel like you and Shan and myself trusted the process. We have to stick with it. So without further ado, here are my own picks. So you talked about the underdogs. It was something I had in mind going into week one, understanding the trends in the past couple of years, understanding how the public loves favorites, et cetera. And I tried to hammer some underdogs. One worked out well, one not so well. Not so well, the New England Patriots plus three and a half. And that's one where I want to say... Hate myself because I like the Dolphins better. I like them better all across the board. Better talent, better receivers, Papa John's ingredients, yada yada. You get it. They got completely outplayed. Did the Patriots? It was ugly, and I did not feel good about that bet from the get go. And that's what the type of bet. Sometimes it works out. Maybe it worked out with the Giants, but the Patriots one's a little bit of a, a, a more painful loss for me. Giants, however, I can't believe they won, Pat. But I did have good faith that they would cover. Now, granted, that game was so wild. Who the hell knows? I'll take the Giants plus five and a half. I did not sprinkle the money line. And I'm not going to say I wish I did because I had no faith in them anyway, but I'll take the win. Cowboys plus eight and a half and Jaguars plus nine. Hit one leg of the teaser with the Jaguars keeping it close in Washington. However, Dak Prescott gets hurt. Their offense looked abysmal before he got hurt. That was ugly. I thought they'd keep it close. Twas not the case. Uh, this one was a shocker for me. And you know me, Pat. This is not standard for me to take a, a straight up over under. I went over 42 uh, on the Browns and Panthers game and it felt like a crazy bet. That was the bet I rooted for the hardest because it was so out of character for me to do a bet like that. But I, I was looking at it for a long time and I said, you know, I think the Browns are going to do a little better than expected. I think they're going to get in the end zone. They're going to be able to run the ball. You know, Jacoby Brissett is not going to be completely abysmal. And that's pretty much what happened. I expected the Panthers to win, but I got scared off betting them straight up, and I'm glad I did. You know, Nick Chubb looked awesome, didn't get in the end zone. Kareem Hunt cleaned it up and got in there for him. Panthers scored just enough points for that over to hit, and it hit with relative ease. There was more points after the over hit to go up in the high 40s. So I'll take that one, and I rooted for that one very hard. Last but not least, I told you I didn't want to do it. However, I did it, and the Vikings were not the issue in this bet. It was Vikings plus seven and a half and over 39 and a half. I felt fantastic about the seven and a half. And that one obviously hit with the Vikings big win. The over was a risky one. And soon as that game got a little bit out of hand where the Vikings scored early, the Watson dropped touchdown. I was like, damn, you know, the Packers, when they do lose, they do tend to kind of just give it up 
a little bit, especially if it goes two scores, three scores down, whatever it may be. They're like, ah, we're going to be fine. Let's just, just chuck it. Yeah. That's when Rogers throws interceptions. He's like, ah, fuck it. Someone's down there. They're probably not going to catch it anyway. And, and that's what happened. The Packers couldn't score. They didn't keep their end of the bargain over 39 did not hit. So that's me two and three Shen two and three Pat one and four, but Pat, you have two of the worst toughest beats right there. 100%. Yeah. I mean, what are you going to do? And you know, Pete, if we want to sum up week one here in one sentence for me, Week one in one sentence, kickers ruining my life, right? I mean, kickers ruining my life. Blankenship missing a field goal to win it for the Colts. Uh, I didn't give this pick out on the podcast, uh, but they ended up having another separate bet where I had ravens Bengals in a parlay. And, of course, McPherson not only gets the extra point blocked, but then gets then they laces out, he shanks the field goal in overtime to win the game. Uh, so there's another Blankenship missing. And uh, and McManus, but you know, again, that 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 pick should have hit with relative ease. Denver, they couldn't stop Geno Smith. Who give Geno credit? I love that that they asked him after the game. You know, what do you say to the people that write them off that wrote you off? He goes, I didn't write back. He goes, they wrote me off. I didn't write back. But even then, Denver took complete control that game in the second half. I mean, they should have won by two scores. So. And the Raiders missing a two-point conversion. So, I mean, look, NFL, we, we see it every goddamn week. You know, it's in a three-hour game, it's won and it's lost at the margins. And it's easy to look at a game that is 24-21 and say, oh, this team was better, even though they only won by three. But, I mean, there are there's like seven to ten plays, if not more, in any game that can swing a game's result, win or loss. And when you've got so many missed kicks, when you have so much – time management issues from veteran head coaches, let alone Nathaniel Hackett, who's a rookie. The way Mike Vrabel managed the end of that game for the Titans was brutal. I mean, you know, what? I understand the preseason barely matters anymore, but what the fuck is it for if these guys are out here week one and looking like they, they haven't stepped on a field since January? I, I don't get it. Very frustrating. 100% across the board. Agreed with you. And the kickers caused chaos. And that, that'll lead me into my week one summation and recap. Mostly chaos. Nothing to write home about. So I'm taking the line from Geno Smith about not writing back. I'm taking this week one as mostly chaos. Nothing to write home about. Because I'd say most of these outcomes that were in the balance and, and whatever, if they were replayed in three weeks, we could be looking at extremely different games to look at that Broncos game in particular. If that game's in week four Broncos by 10, I really feel that way. You can see in the second half, you know, Geno Smith didn't make the big mistake. He didn't turn the ball over. He didn't uh, throw a big interception, but the Broncos took over. They were on route in route to win. If there was five quarters in the NFL game, they were winning that game, right? So if that, if that game happens again in three weeks, which it doesn't, I love the Broncos, right? And same concept with a couple of these other games, where you know Niners Bears not in a monsoon, like what what are we looking at? A completely different game. You can't put too much stock into some of these Week One performances. You know, however, there are some that you feel really good about because they look crisp. They look like they're prepared. They didn't look like the preseason and camp meant nothing to them. And oh, the Week One, Week Two, we'll figure it out. All right? Some teams actually took it serious enough where they came out sharp. They came out like they had things they worked on all summer and they made it happen. So. It's not all chaos. It's not all nothing to write home about, but mostly chaos, and I ain't writing home. So that's how I felt about week one. 
So we just touched on all the bets we made in week one, and yes, it was action-packed. But people, it's okay. If week one didn't go your way, the season literally just got started. So get ready for week two of touchdown, big plays, and even bigger wins with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. This week, new customers can bet just $5 on any football game and get $200 in free bets instantly. People, I explain this all the time. That doesn't mean you have to get the bet right. You just got to bet 5 bucks on any football game. If you're not on DraftKings, what are you doing? You got a chance for $200 free instantly. You want more action? Everyone can experience the thrill again of DraftKings early win promotion. It's pretty simple. This Sunday, bet on any NFL team to win. And if your team leads by 10 at any point during the game, you get paid instantly. Even if they don't cover, even if they don't win. That's all you have to do. And this week, there are a ton of 10-point favorites. You got the Broncos, the Rams, the Niners, the Packers, the Bills. They're all double-digit favorites this week. If you look at those and you think one of them has a chance to take a big lead, they don't even need to win. They just need to go up 10. That's all you got to do. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPM to get $200 in free bets instantly when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code TBPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. But now looking more big picture, Pat, let's talk about a preseason take that you and I had. You can go first if you'd like. I can go first if you'd like. Uh, The preseason take that we had that we want to double down on. Something we said in our preview, something we said even earlier than that, something you said on air on uh, WFAN or CBS radio, something that you watched that week one and you said, yeah, I wish I could put more money on that over. I wish I, oh, well, maybe I will double down on that division winner, et cetera. So Pat, what is your first preseason take that you want to double down on? I'm going to double down on the Raiders winning the AFC West. Um, you know, I know for a large part of that game against uh, the Chargers, they did not look good. They were down 17-3. They were down 24-10. They were down two scores for, you know, really most of the uh, first half and and beginning of the second half, you know, and, and all of a sudden they made it a contest late in the game. But, um, you know, I just I, – I know Derek Carr threw three picks, you know, but he was aggressive, right? They threw the ball down the field. That's exactly what they have to do. I mean, and – Devontae Adams getting 17 targets that he should be right. He should be getting 17 targets until a team proves that they can stop him. And if the chargers had JC Jackson, maybe it's a different story, but again, we can, you can't play ifs in the NFL because you have guys that are hurt every single week in major positions. So Adams getting the ball 10 times, 10 catches for 141 yards. I loved, I thought they used Waller. Well, I I know he was a little banged up. He just signed a contract. So I want to see them use him more. I was disappointed with Hunter Renfro um, only having three catches. Uh, But, you know, for the most part, that Raiders defense, which I was expecting to take a big step up, you know, they did. They battened down in the second half. They held the Chargers to 24. I mean, you know, Herbert, for the most part, didn't have too tough of a day. He didn't get sacked. But the Chargers with Patrick Graham played exactly the kind of defense I thought they were going to play. And that is keep things in front, play that soft zone, force teams to nickel and dime them down the field rather than getting beat with the long ball. You know, I know Keenan Allen broke one, but that was about it. You know, they had three passing plays of 25 yards or more of 20 yards or more. uh, And that was it. Um, So, you know, for the most part, I thought the Raiders defense was up to the task. Cards got to limit the interceptions, obviously. uh, But I think he's going to, I'm I'm not losing faith in Derek Carr. I'm going to double down on it. And look, 
week one road game against the Chargers, who are the betting favorites to win the division. And the Raiders had a chance to win that game late. I still like my chances with the Raiders. I'm doubling down on them, and they're going to win the AFC West. I'm surprised by your pick, and it's not because of anything you said about the Raiders. I actually have some thoughts that would agree with what you said, Raiders versus Chargers. However, you mentioned that you still want to double down on the Raiders to win the AFC uh, West. One of your other takes, if I remember correctly, Pat, was the Chiefs are still here and they should not be taken lightly as a Super Bowl favorite. And that might have been another preseason take you could have doubled down on. Do you think that the division maybe doesn't matter in that regard? Or or where do you land on that? Maybe you want to double down on both of those because both can technically take place. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I could. Um, I, I just think, you know, I got to a point where I realized the Chiefs are not as strong as they are, obviously, right? I mean, that's, you know, that, you don't need me to tell you that. But then it gets to a point where the overreaction, the overreaction is so great where people are saying, oh, Chiefs might miss the playoffs. And I'm like, well, hold up. Wait a minute. <laughs> Wait a minute here. Chiefs are not going to miss the playoffs, right? They solved a lot of those defensive issues towards the second half of last year. Uh, I know their offense on non-paper isn't as strong without Tyreek Hill, but I said it's going to force them to become a much more balanced offense. And I'm not going to overreact to what they did to Arizona in week one, but still mightily, you know, damn impressive putting up 44 points. Mahomes looked as just as, bit of, uh, as good as he always does. I mean, 30 at 39 for 360 and five tutties. Plus they had the run game going. So, yeah. Um, I'm going to double down in the sense that the Chiefs are a Super Bowl contender. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I agree. I think even if they don't win the division, they've got the postseason resume. They've got the experience. Um, you know, they've basically had four straight years of it now. And they still have Andy Reid, who shut everybody up, you know, by saying, oh, he can never win the Super Bowl. He can never win the big one. They've got Mahomes. I said, if you got the quarterback and you got the coach, that's, you know, you're, you've got a chance. So yeah, I will double down in saying that the Chiefs will be a contender uh, for the Super Bowl. They're going to make the playoffs, absolutely. Uh, but I'm still saying that the Raiders are going to be good enough overall consistently through 18 weeks in the regular season to win the division. And I would say the Raiders have as good of a shot as the Chiefs to win the AFC. And if you think about that head-to-head game, part of it is because of the score and what had to happen because Carr threw those interceptions. But the Raiders outgained the the Chargers in the, on the air and in the ground. They had the best receiver and the second best receiver in the game. They had the best running back in the game. Like they were just better in general, except for the interceptions. And we know turnovers are not something that you want to bank on over and over and over again to happen consistently. So it, it's a take from you that I'm, I'm here for. And if you want to get frisky with it, Pat, right now, the division odds for the AFC West Drop the Raiders real low. So if you do want to double down, they're now plus 800 to win the AFC West. It was much tighter preseason, and the Broncos are still at 450. Don't know how that odd is, or those odds are there, because the Raiders and Broncos, I don't know how you can say that Denver looked better than the Raiders. So I'm with you on that regard. Yeah, no, absolutely. And again, you know, they play this game in, in Vegas. I'd love to see what happens. You know, they shocked uh, they shocked Baltimore week one last year. So they, they were, they did get off to a great start, but you know, again, I just, I would have loved to see what the Raiders were in totality without the adversity they had to face with Gruden and rugs and everything. I mean, you could also kind of make the argument it made them better, but they were a much better, much more sound team in all facets of the game. 
And look, they had a tough challenge week one. I, honestly, I'm fine with that. Get the tough game out of the way early. Uh, probably one of the toughest games they're going to play all year, right? Like I said, the betting favorite to win the division, the Chargers on the road week one. Um, I'm, I'm okay with how they played because Carr was aggressive. You know, I was, it's tough to watch every single play and every single throw, but I was going back through some of the highlights. Yeah, the one interception that he threw to Waller wasn't great, but the other two, you know, I'm fine with those. I'm fine. So he took his chances. They went down the field and, you know, again, I'm going to, I'm going to double down. Raiders are going to win the West. The only thing you have to be concerned with, with Derek Carr, in my opinion, is that he doesn't reel it in, right? Cause he's not the type of quarterback to throw a lot of interceptions over and over and over again, game after game, but he could be the type of quarterback who decides not to push it downfield as frequently if some of those interceptions happen. So that's just something to look out for in week two, three, four, that car is still aggressive. He is still attacking. And if he's doing that, this offense has the ability to put up a ton of points. Um, so. And McDaniels and McDaniels said in his post-game press conference, I was, you know, looking on Twitter and watching some of the videos, you know, he, he said he was probably playing a little too aggressively. I'm fine with that. We'll take I'd that, rather man. my quarterback be too aggressive rather than be a pussy, you know, like <laughs> we, saw, we saw too many teams. In, in week one, not be aggressive. Like week one is the time where you have a whole season to figure it out. Yes, you can argue that one loss in week one can come back to bite you, yada, yada. But if you want to set the tone for aggression, you have to do it in week one. So I'm with you. No no fault of Derek Carr and the Raiders letting it fly a little bit because they're, like I said, they're going to put up points this year. Um, all right, so my first pick for a preseason take that I want to double down on is going to be an under- that I took when we did a couple over-unders just last week, Pat, it's the Cincinnati Bengals. And I don't want to say it's just a, a reaction to the loss. Like you already explained, they could have and should have won in week one, but it wouldn't really change my mind. This helps me with an under just because they have a loss on the record already. But I'm nervous about two things with the Cincinnati Bengals. One being obviously that Joe Burrow was under duress the entire time. The four interceptions... You know, we'll take or leave that. We're not going to harp on four interceptions too much. I don't expect expect that to happen super frequently, but the pressure that he had on top of him all game long is a huge issue and something to be worried about. It was much talked about with the Bengals improving the offensive line over the offseason. The rub on this is that they can get better over time, and you probably expect them to get better over time. But last year, the Bengals were the number one team with Joe Burrow throwing into tight windows and making big plays because Jamar Chase was off the charts. Uh, T Higgins was off the charts. Tyler Boyd does it every once in a while. And CJ Uzama, who's not there anymore, was also pretty good in this category. We always say, Patrick Mahomes says, fuck it, Tyreek down there somewhere. Joe Burrow is actually the guy who said, fuck it, Jamar Chase down there somewhere. All season long last year. And when, when they went on that incredible run in the second half of the season, that was their bread and butter. I don't find that to be super sustainable, even with all the dripping talent that Jamar Chase has as a wide receiver in this league. It is something that I want to see cleaned up. They need to get easier drives, easier points. It can't be relied upon jump balls and one-on-ones and -on all day, every day, especially when Joe Burrow doesn't even have time to let his routes develop. So that's something I'm keeping a keen eye on, and I would double down on the Bengals under, which I believe was at 10. So getting that first loss obviously helps me in that regard. But even if they won that game, I still feel a certain type of way with what I saw from that offense 
and the duress that Joe Burrow was under that I'm nervous about what's going to happen when they play good teams and their defense doesn't show up and, and only give up 17 points a game. Are they going to consistently be able to score 24 plus 30 point plus performances with this offensive line and relying on Jamar chase to be a superhero? It's very valid. Very valid, man. And, you know, we all thought the offensive line was going to be so much better, adding Lyle Collins, adding Kappa. Uh, they did not look very good at all. And, nope. you know, who knows? I know DJ Watt left that game late. And great news for Pittsburgh fans, he's not getting surgery. He's only going to miss six weeks, they think. But, um, you know, I, I know he's arguably the best pass rusher in the NFL. They're going to have plenty of other good pass rushes and teams that can get to the quarterback coming at them. And if Kappa can't protect him, if Collins can't protect him, this revamped offensive line that was going to solve all their issues looks the same as it did last year where Burrow's under duress and under pressure almost off the get-go. I mean, you know, again, then you're relying on Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and Joe Mixon to basically play out of their minds like they did for most of last season to make up for a shitty O-line. Tough to do it twice in two years. Um, and again, I said it all of last year, that defense went above and beyond played out of their skulls, especially in the postseason and in the takeaway department. So if they're not doing that and, you know, you're, you're down double digits most of that game against Mitch Trubisky and the Steelers, I'm not getting, I'm not getting sold on the Steelers. I'm not getting sold a bill of goods that the Steelers are going to be a double-digit win team this year. I think I know exactly who they are. So that was a bad loss. Very, very bad loss week one. Yeah, Najee Harris. That. Yeah, Najee Harris went down at a certain point there. You already mentioned TJ Watt. And you know what? Jamar Chase and Joe Mixon were really good in week one. I mean, Jamar had 10 for 129 and his long was only 24 yards. So it's not like he had, you know, one catch for 62 yards and then nine catches for a for a little scrap here and there. He had, I mean, he had consistency. He had 129 on 10 catches. It's amazing. Joe Mixon, 60 yards in the uh, receiving category, 80 yards uh on the ground. They did their part. To an extent, obviously, there needs to be they need to be better. Uh, but I, I'm feeling good about that. One more for you, Pat, here on my double down. I mentioned when we talked about Tua Tonga Viola last week that I think he's gonna be very good against bad teams, and I think he's gonna struggle against good teams. I think we saw a mixed bag in week one because the Patriots, even with the lack of talent, obviously have uh, a system defensively to make things a little bit more difficult on a quarterback. So Tua looked average, right? He had some things that were kind of ugly, kind of clunky. He had, obviously, a lot of that quick, rhythmic passing game that hit really well. He has the playmakers. It's going to continue. When they play a lesser opponent, he's going to look good. His numbers are going to be good. If he doesn't turn the ball over, they're going to win a bunch of games, and I think they're going to make the playoffs. But when they play good teams with a good pass rush, I am still nervous. So my double down is really a meddling take here that I think Tua dominates bad competition looks average against average competition and is going to struggle against the best teams. They're lucky that their division isn't very strong outside of the Buffalo bills. And they're lucky that their schedule isn't a, a top 10 hardest schedule in the league because they're going to be able to compete based off the talent on that roster. So Tua for whatever he gives to you based on the opponent, you're going to take it because this team will win a lot of games. Okay. Uh, quick double down for you before we move to one that we have some doubts about um, is the Cowboys. And I know Dak is done now for probably two months minimum, but I mean, look, you know, let's be honest. They were absolute dog shit. Even when he was playing before he got hurt, right? Late, late in the third quarter. 
I mean, they were they couldn't do anything. Losing Amari Cooper is a huge, huge miss for them. Um, you know, when Gallup comes back, but now CD Lamb did he's not a number one receiver. And I know a lot of people have had very high hopes for him. He had 11 targets. He caught two balls. Uh, he did not look good. He looked lost. His route running, which is usually very, very good, was not very good at all. Tampa Bay's defense, you know, I know they're going to be elite once again, but that was that was brutal to watch. And I don't know why anybody was buying stock in Ezekiel Elliott this year. I think we've known who he is now for the last two years. He is a mediocre running back. He is no longer an elite running back. He hasn't been for two years. So, I, like I said, Dallas – was frauds. They were gonna. They're gonna hit their under, and especially now, that's an obvious statement without without Dak for the next six to eight weeks. But again, those first three quarters told a very very big tale about who they were. Even if Prescott's under center, and um, I thought they were gonna struggle to make the playoffs with him. And now, if you're a Dallas fan, you might want to just good night the lights until uh, September of next season. It's gonna be a 100%. long year. You could have also said to double down anyone who bet the Eagles to win the NFC East. It's still only minus 150. It's a great number to still get in on. That that feels so good. And even though they let up the lead against the Lions, that's okay. They are the best team in this division. So if you want to double down on the Cowboys stinking, that works. If you want to double down on the Eagles winning division, it's still minus 150. That's a beautiful thing as well. The Giants are actually second at plus 400 with the Commanders at plus 500 in third on those odds which blows my mind that it's even that close. You know, the Cowboys right now are plus uh, 650. They should be plus 2000 right now. They ain't winning the division with eight weeks of missing Dak Prescott. I think the commanders are the sneaky NFC East division bet at plus 500. I ain't going to touch it, but if you bet the Eagles at plus 150, or even if you got them earlier at plus 200, plus 250, go throw some extra change at minus 150. Cause those odds are going to drop Every single week, especially as the Eagle schedule is soft and they're going to win, they're going to beat bad teams. They're going to, they're going to walk to 10 wins. I think this year, especially because of how weak that division is. So double down the NFC East all across the board. It's all good. I don't, and I'm not, I'm not uh, rethinking my giants under either Pat. I'm not going to rethink that. Are you rethinking it? it? Dude. Oh no. I, you know what? When it comes to the Giants over the last oh, three no. years, it should it, it would have just paid off to be basically as if you were a sharp better. Do like be ahead of the curve. When everybody thought they were going to be pretty decent two years ago, you should have just said they're going to be terrible. When everybody thought they had a chance to win a division last year, myself included, I should have said, you know what? What am I thinking? The Giants are going to be terrible. And now that we think the Giants are going to be terrible, look, again, I've got a big gripe with Randy Bullock. I got a big gripe with Mike Vrabel. I got a big gripe with Ryan Tannehill. Uh, but at the same time, dude, the Giants showed a pulse that they have not had in years. Coming, like I said, 13 nothing at the half. They were cooked. They were lifeless. It was same old Giants. I was ready to cash. I, not even cash out the bet. I was ready to metaphorically cash it out because I thought the game was going to be over. Uh, and, and then all of a sudden, I, I mean, look, dude, Daniel Jones – I've done the, I did the 180, and Daniel Jones made a terrible, horrendous pass in the end zone Ooh. looking for Barkley. But at so the bad. same time, you know, he he didn't turn the ball over outside of that, right? He didn't turn the ball over. He had one he did. He actually he strip sacked, which yeah, wasn't even which wasn't his fault. Got smoked. Yeah, well, that was not his fault. Um, that's not the one where he's holding it in the pocket, holding it, holding it. You know, uh, being very hesitant, and then on his way down loses the football. Right. But 
look, dude, Saquon's been talking a whole lot of shit this whole offseason. If he is back, look out, because that run game takes so much pressure off of Daniel Jones having to throw to Shepard or Galladay or, you know, I, I mean, I got another big problem too, though, with the Giants, because how does Kadarius Tony only get fucking seven snaps? I don't know. There was obviously something going on. Maybe, maybe uh, Dable is still salty with what him, you know, him not showing up early in the preseason. There's absolutely no fucking way Kadarius Tony can only get seven snaps. So if they actually get, you know, in cohesion, Dayball and Tony, and they have to because he is way too talented. I mean, look out. This offense could have been could be even more special. But Saquon Barkley going 18 for 164, man, ripping off big runs like we saw his rookie year. Look, if they can at least just have an O-line that can run block, you know, they don't need to be a great pass-blocking team, and they're not going to be. I mean, Jones got sacked five times. So if they can just run the ball, you're at least going to see some life from this offense. They put up 21 points in the second half, dude. And again, they have a pulse. They have a head coach that wants to win. That is something they have, those intangibles. They haven't had come close to having over the last four, five, six, seven years. So with the easy schedule, I'm not ready to say that I totally reverse on it, but there is some doubt in my mind because the Giants, again, they're going to play, what, Chicago, Detroit, Jacksonville, Seattle? I mean, dude, if they, they play the way they did in the second half, they could win three of those games. And you're maybe looking at a Giants team that does go eight and nine this year. I hate to say it. I hate to say it, but I got some doubts. I got some doubts. Let me jump in because you're right. There's a reason to have doubts. Just listen to their next three games because the way we looked at these games preseason versus now is very different already. They have the Panthers next week. It's a winnable game. It's not a game that is a shoe-in. They're not going to be more. Actually, I don't have the lineup. I can I can probably find it uh, as we speak here for a I'll minute. I'll check right now. It's probably a pick em. Yeah, it's probably close to a pick em. It's not. It's no more than three in either direction. I think the Giants might be one and a half or, or something in that regard. Um it's the uh, Giants minus one. Yes, Giants minus one against the Panthers. Then they you're have. Seeing to- my, you're seeing minus one. I'm seeing minus two and a half. I'm looking on uh, pregame.com. I'm not looking at DraftKings right now, so it could. Easily I have be- I have DraftKings pulled up, which is odd because they're minus one thirty five on the money line, but the spread's minus two and a half. Interesting. We'll have to discuss that on our picks on uh, on Thursday night into Friday. Uh, they have the Panthers. Then they have the Cowboys, which been, would have been chalked up as a as a lose against Dak Prescott, but now they're going to be favored in that game, most likely against Cooper Rush. Then they have the Bears. There is a universe, Pat, where the Giants are 4-0. and oh. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> Can you believe it? There is an actual reality where the Giants are 4-0. and oh. Then they have the Packers and Ravens. We'll say those are two L's. Then it's the Jaguars, Seahawks, Texans, Lions, Cowboys, Commanders. God damn it. God damn it, Pat. There's a chance they have like six wins halfway through the season. There's a chance. And I hate that. I don't want to, I'm not going to double down on the under, but I'm not rethinking it yet. I need to see them take care of business against Carolina and Dallas first, you know, because there are some issues here, but you're right. The schedule is so soft that there is a chance they really can get to eight wins. God forbid more. I don't know. It's, it's not out of the realm of possibilities. My one note though on Daniel Jones and it's combo note between the offensive play calling and himself just as a quarterback. There's clearly an emphasis on using him as a runner, which I love. It's something that should have been done with him since he was a rookie. He's clearly had the legs for it. He's clearly able to break big ones if he gets a lane. But the big but is this man needs to figure out if he's going to slide or dive headfirst or just get tackled. 
you have to decide because this little side dive thing where he gets hit every time is a fumble waiting to happen, one. It's an injury waiting to happen, two, which maybe is something that the Giants don't particularly care about. And they look at Tyrod Taylor and Daniel Jones as a wash and say, hey, we're going to run Daniel Jones because it's an effective play for us. And if he gets hurt, so be it. But he needs to decide. There was a play where it was a third down and like four where he kept the ball on the QB read and yep. he went up the left side and he did the sideways dive, got hit, did not get the first down. He got marked a little short because it was a weird dive slide and he got marked short. If he just got tackled, just get tackled normal, he falls forward and gains the extra yard. It was a first down. So pick a side, Daniel Jones, slide or get tackled. I don't want to see this weird side dive where you get hit every time. It is mind-boggling, and I'm hoping that Dayball is on his ass because clearly he doesn't mind to get on his ass as we saw on the sideline in week one. So that needs to be ironed out. Keep using him as a runner. It's going to be a weapon. It's going to help Saquon. It's going to help the offensive line. But just figure it out, DJ. You have to slide or you have to get tackled. No more in between. You're going to get hurt. You're going to fumble. Bad things are not are going to happen. So that is my note about Daniel Jones. The bad throw to Saquon sucked. It was a deflator. I can't believe they came back and still won after that. The offensive line is having nightmares about Jeffrey Simmons right now. Thank God they don't have to play him again. He was a monster. Uh, but this team has something. And in the world of back, you'll find Saquon Barkley. So there, there we are. There's the New York Giants rub for the over, the under, the division. I don't know. They have a chance to be relevant. Absolutely. Uh, you summed it up pretty well. And I absolutely agree with the, the slide dive. He's like the most unathletic athletic quarterback in the league. Yeah. Because we've seen him break off huge runs. And, and in one play, the huge run against Philly, breaks off a huge run, hits like 21 miles an hour, falls on his face. Literally. Fall. Such a good runner. But like the, the sideways side slide dive, I mean, I, what the fuck is that? One or I, the I, other. And you, you can't slide short. You can't slide short of the first down. Now, if you're going to slide short, slide short and be safe with it. Like, listen, it, not every quarterback's built like Josh Allen to fucking bully somebody and fall forward for two and a half yards. It's not going to happen with 90% of quarterbacks in this league. But there are certain points in the game where you have to make a decision and you got to send it. So I want to see Daniel Jones send it as a runner. I want to see him continue to be average as a passer. And there's a chance for this team to score points. And on the Tony front, in his two touches, Pat, he created a disaster play uh, on the, it looked like he was actually going to throw the ball, right? So they trusted him to throw the ball, but not run any routes. Okay. That, that makes sense. But he, he circles back, makes four people miss and gains three yards. It was incredible. And then on the other run, he picked up, I think he picked up like 11 yards or something like that. I don't have it in front of me. And it was a good, another great run. The guy's electric. We all know this. Let's get him involved and let's see what happens. So that's enough on the giants. I'm going to, I'm getting worked up over here. So let's talk about a take that we want to rethink, Pat. Do you have a take that you want to rethink after week one? I mean, outside of the Giants, just off the top of my head, um, in terms of rethinking one. Um, it's okay if you don't have one, because that means that you're trusting your process, because I'm fine with I'm fine yeah, with that. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm just, yeah, no, I am trusting the process. I'm just trying to go back and, and think of, you know, I, I feel like there wasn't really anything egregious, right? Like, we neither of us were super high on the Bengals. We were both very doubtful of them, which, which is looking very good. I would say if I'm going to rethink anything, um, it's maybe rethinking that Tua was ever even going to try to throw the ball down the field in the first place, and that he might have a good year 
just because, again, they're going to run the exact game plan that we all thought they were going to run. Short slants, um, you know, bubble screens, small, you know, little, little drag routes over the middle, and they're going to go for the yak yards. I mean, how many times did Tua throw the ball in the air more than 10 yards? At least from what I saw, the highlights I went back and watched, not a lot, right? A lot of it is exactly what Tyreek Hill does best, and that's get he caught the ball eight times for 94 yards. So it's getting the ball with the, getting the ball to Tyreek Hill and letting him run. Getting the ball on that fourth down to Jalen Waddle and watching him just break one right up the middle because the Patriots had no idea what was coming on that fourth down play, which I love the gamble from McDaniel. No pun and no rhyme intended there. Um, but you know, he completed 23 passes for 270 yards, and a lot of that came on yards after the catch. So maybe and you know, if there is one thing I'm gonna you know, I wouldn't say renege on, but also have some doubts on is that Tua is going to, is my take that Tua was going to have a shit year and they were going to be searching for another quarterback it's because they've got the exact type of weapons that suits his game and maybe trusting him to actually execute it. Um, you know, if, if they have to start throwing the ball down the field, if they get behind, I still believe he's not going to be able to do that. So I'm not reneging on that, but when they play from ahead, you know, they can, they can nickel and dime teams down the field to death with either running it or with short passes. A short pass is just as good as a run for this team, and they were able to execute it perfectly against the Patriots, who, by the way, were light, totally lifeless on offense. So we'll see how they, how they do, you know, if they have to come back or if they're playing a better defense. Um, you know, New England's defense, even then, held them to 20 points. It's not like they lit them up. but They were just so know. in control, right. Yeah, maybe, you know, so if there is something that I am going to maybe doubt uh, after week one is that maybe I'm doubting that two is going to have a shit year now just because, again, they're going to just go to the same game plan every week. And when you've got skilled players that are so athletic like Tyreek and Waddle, it's tough to stop. Yeah, and it really comes down to how good Mike McDaniel is going to be because if Tua is dinking and dunking and diming all over the place within 10 yards, defenses say, all right, we're loading the box, we're pressing up, we're going to cut off all this short stuff. Tua doesn't have to throw a 50-yard bomb to hit Tyreek over the top. He has to throw it 30 yards, and that's something he probably can do, right? So, again, it doesn't mean Tua is amazing, but it means he's going to be good enough with the talent around him and a system around him for it to work this year. So that, that's the take there. My take I'm rethinking here is not one that was one of my big takes. It's more of a, a meddling take, one of the general takes of the NFL public and everyone who's talking about this, this game that we love so much, and it's the Los Angeles Chargers. There's two things that are interesting to me about the Chargers. I didn't pick them to be a Super Bowl contender per se. I picked them to make the playoffs and be in it, give or take. Uh, but I didn't pick them as one of my, you know, odds that I'm taking on the Super Bowl. And I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna rethink that they're even gonna be a lock for the playoffs because of how good the Raiders can be, the Broncos we expect to be better, and the Chiefs are, I think are gonna win that division. Brandon Staley has made his name for better or worse being aggressive. 100%. He took his foot off the gas a little bit in that first week. He had a fourth and one in the middle of the field. That was an automatic go for him last year. Now it worked out and he punted and they punted down to the goal line almost and, and it worked out. They scored on the next drive. That's great. I just don't know if Brandon Staley knows who he wants to be now. Is he? Did he hear the criticism and is going to change his mind, going to change aggression, going to not trust Herbert? to go be amazing on fourth and five every single time or fourth and two. That's a question mark for me. And then second is where are their explosives going to come? I don't see this team as a very fast team. 
I love Keenan Allen so much as a wide receiver. He's not the type of guy to constantly beat people downfield. Mike Williams is a jump ball guy. They're going to have to do more to get him involved. And Eckler can be that guy, but he's more, you know, 15 yards at a time. He's not one to, to break 60, 70 yarders super frequently. So I'm a little bit nervous about this team's identity offensively. They have the robot, awesome, savage of Justin Herbert at quarterback, but I'm not sure what is going to be unleashed on that offense yet. So I'm rethinking locking them in as a playoff uh, a playoff team just because I need to see more of what they are. Who are they going to be from an aggression standpoint, from a coaching standpoint, and their defense obviously played well with the turnovers and in and, and general, but I'm not ready now to just say they're a playoff team with that division, that schedule, and how good the rest of the, the uh, AFC West looks. All right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think to a lot of people's surprise, they only went for it on one time, uh, that one-fourth down play. That was it. So maybe Brandon Staley reeling it back in a little bit. But uh, Is that good or bad, though? Is that good or bad for him to change his identity? I don't know. It probably has to meet in the middle somewhere, and it probably will over time. Like he will regress back to his mean of being the aggressive fourth down goer. But there's just a question mark for me onto how this offense creates explosives. Herbert's amazing. I need to see them do it because they're going to have to put up points to win against some of their competition. Yeah. And they, and they didn't run the ball well at all against Vegas. And I'm surprised, honestly, that Eckler split so many of the carries with Josh Kelly and Sony Michelle. Maybe they're, you know, they're trying to keep him healthy. They're trying to, you know, save him, not, you know, use him, I guess, on 60 to 70 snaps a week. Uh, but they really didn't do much in the run game. So I think a lot of that is predicated on how well they can run the ball. Because if everybody knows that from second down at thir- second down on, they're throwing it, it's going to be much, much tougher for them to get yardage. So I, I like that take. All right. So any other general winners, losers, overreactions for week one? If not, we'll move on to week two. I think we touched on a lot already. Yeah. I mean, obviously, Russ Wilson going back to Seattle and, uh, you know, look for anybody that's religious for any of your beliefs, I don't care. But when Russ Wilson, then he's now using religion to not answer questions in the post game. That's where I have a problem. When people are asking, well, what'd you think of they, they mercifully mercilessly booed him, which I didn't agree with. I thought Seattle fans, you know, again, the guy brings you, guy brings you a Super Bowl title. You know, he basically gave everything to that city for 10 years. And then he left because you couldn't, you know, the owners of the team and the front office refused to put an offensive line around him. You're going to boo the guy, you know, rain down booze. I didn't agree with that. But for them to ask, oh, what did you think of the, of the crowd booing you? And he goes, oh, there's only one audience. There's a, I play for an audience of one, and it's God. It's like, dude, just fucking answer the question. Just answer the question. Not everything has to be about God. Or every, every single time you open your mouth, that's all it's about. Just shut up and say something actually with meaning. And not post some stupid-ass TikToks or whatever other stupid videos he has about football, faith, and family. So... Right. Uh, but going to Seattle in a game again, they should have won him and Nathaniel Hackett, the big losers of week one for me. Um, and then big winners uh, of week one, you know, another team that we have not talked about a lot so far is the New Orleans Saints. You know, again, easily could have lost that game. Falcons once again, proving that they can never hold the lead no matter who's that quarterback. But look, you know, Jameis Winston, uh, was really, really good in that second half, man. It was really, really good. And they could have easily folded that game in, said, you know what, week one on the road division opponent. Ah, all right, we'll get them next week. No, man, they came back. They had some really good drives. Give Dennis Allen a lot of credit. That is a, that is a rookie head coach in his first game 
that actually came from behind and got the job done. You know, Michael Thomas, two touchdowns. We'll see as, as he gets more reps and gets back to being Michael Thomas. We'll see the chemistry with Jameis. But Juice Landry, man, what a first game for him. Seven for 114. He was all over the place making huge catches. Uh, Lave had a couple of nice grabs. And, you know, again, Kamara didn't even run the ball that well. You know, they, they had the, the Swiss Army Knights. I Tyson Hill break off that one huge run, but I mean, that was an impressive win for new Orleans. I didn't touch them. I didn't touch Atlanta. I thought they, I know that game could have went either way, but then for them to be uh, down two scores, come back, get the two point conversion and then hit the field goal and, and then block young way at the end. I thought that was a very impressive win. So saints are going to be a force. Um, I don't think they're going to have a chance of winning the NFC South over Tampa Bay, but they could be eyeing and they could absolutely be eyeing a wild card berth this year. I would keep an eye out for New Orleans. I think they're going to be a solid team. The defense is pretty talented as it's been for the past year or two, and the weapons are serious. If Michael Thomas is Michael Thomas, he is him. He is that dude. He will be a number one threat if he's healthy and, and sane, I guess, right? And Alave and, and Jarvis Landry as a two three. Wow. That is an offense that can explode. And I didn't mention Alvin Kamara. Like you said, he didn't even look that good. So I, I agree. Obviously, you'd like them to win that with a little bit more handedly. And, and I do believe Dennis Allen was a coach in the past. Was he the Raiders coach, I believe? So it wasn't a rookie, but he is a new coach. Whatever. Um, yeah, you, so, might, you might be right there. I think yeah, you're right. Uh, but either way, I do, I do like that. I'll mention the Vikings super quick as a winner. You know, they didn't blow the doors off of Green Bay, right? Green Bay has talent on defense. Their defense looked bad for a big portion of that game. We are saying that the Vikings are winners. You and I both picked them as that long shot Super Bowl contender, and they look like they should be the team to beat in the NFC North right now. The weapons are serious. Thielen didn't even do much, but Justin Jefferson, goddamn. I know he was open a lot. Granted, shout out to the offensive coordinator and the, and the head coach, et cetera. But th they're the team to beat in the NFC North, not panicking on the Packers. We've seen this story before. The receivers will get a little better. The defense is good, but that that did deserve um, that did deserve a shout out at minimum there for the Vikings as winners. Uh, and an overreaction. Let's just mention it right now. The 49ers. When I said chaos, nothing to write home about. I was thinking of that game. It was chaos. Trey Lance was a mess. The field was a mess. You saw the lines in the in the pregame on the sideline were crooked as hell. It looked like the guy was drunk. So that that's something that I'm throwing out. It's an overreaction if anyone says otherwise. And um, uh, wait, I had one more thing that I was going to say that I'm, I'm slipping my mind on here now, but that's okay. That's pretty much covering it all there. If it comes back to me, I'll, I'll touch it up later. Um, but yeah, that's it for week one on the recap front. So Pat, real quick, before we say goodbye, let's just talk about a week two matchup, maybe one, maybe two. We're obviously not going to make our picks now. That's going to come later in the week with Mark Shanlugan when he joins us again. So just, just quick outlook. Pat, maybe let's just start on Chargers-Chiefs Thursday night. Chargers-Chiefs Thursday night. I just questioned the Chargers. The Chiefs were off the charts. We talked about them a little bit too. So when you're looking at this game, Chiefs minus four, over under 54 and a half. What a monster total. What are you expecting? What are you looking forward to for Thursday night's game? Yeah, I think the Chargers are going to win it. I think the Chargers are going to win the game. I think they're going to prove to you. I mean, they've given the Chiefs trouble basically every year now for the last four or five seasons when they play them. And I, they usually play them week two. And I feel like this is either the second or the third time they've played them week two Thursday night in the last couple of years. So this game is basically on the schedule every year. And, um, you know, look, a lot of positive things about both these teams coming out of week one. 
but I think the same reason why LA's been able to beat them in the past is the reason they're going to beat them on Thursday night. If they can get to the quarterback, if they can get to Mahomes, the pass rush with Bosa and Khalil Mack now. I mean, they've not only got one wing uh, of, an, of an elite pass rusher coming at Mahomes, they've got two. Um, and that Kansas City offensive line looked very, very good, but I think that was more of a detriment to Arizona, having a lot of guys out on defense and just looking like dog shit in general. Um, but, you know, if Keenan Allen plays, then they've got their full complement of weapons. Um, and I would, this is a classic. Once again, for me, whenever you get two good offenses, um, I'm always going with the, with the same game parlay, the teaser here. So, you know, I know we're making our picks for the Sunday slate and beyond later in the week. But I'm already gonna. I'm already looking at a Chargers like plus ten and an over forty five, over forty six, something in that range. Um, and I think you know this is this could be another big statement that you know this is the the betting favorite, the Chargers, why they are the betting favorites and why they're going to win this game. It'll be a fun one to say the least, and we know we often see fireworks. I expect more of that with this game on Thursday night. I'm looking forward to the Amazon Prime broadcast just to see what it's all about, see how it feels watching it. But besides that. I want to see the Chiefs do it again. I want to see if this whole idea that, you know, less is more uh, with with the Chiefs' offense and their weapons around Patrick Mahomes is going to make sense and mean something for the entire season. No more Tyreek Hill. It's been talked about at nauseum. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster looked pretty good. Travis Kelsey is still Travis Kelsey. They got guys who can make plays, and they got the best guy to assist those playmakers in making plays in Patrick Mahomes. I'm probably going to stay away from this as far as a pick. And like you said, our picks are coming after this game anyway. And now it's Thursday night. Am I going to put some action on it? Probably. Definitely. 100% I'm going to put some action on it. It's Thursday night football, goddammit. But as far as like an official pick, I just, I don't, I don't love it. I don't love it at minus four. I can easily see this being a three-point game, even if it's 33-30. And I just expect, I expect some fireworks to be quite frank. And I expect the Chargers um, defense to have their hands full, but also come in with a game plan. Because like you said, they've had success in the past and and they'll expect it. I, I think I'm going to go maybe with some Juju Smith-Schuster uh, props in the same game parlay, perhaps. I don't think uh, Pacheco is a guy who is going to be a stud all season. I think it was a good advantageous spot for him. Uh, but Mahomes is that dude. He almost gets overlooked as an MVP candidate. But man, how he played in week one was beautiful and looked unstoppable. So I want to see if that's just what they are right now. If they're revamped, re-energized, and ready to make a run. So I'm leaning opposite of you. If I were to go somewhere, I'd probably go Chiefs. I just hate that minus four number. So I'll see what works. I'll see if there's a teaser that that makes sense. Maybe the Chiefs money line or something along those lines. Uh, but but yeah, it's an exciting game to say the least. Also, I did remember what I wanted to say, Pat. It's totally irrelevant, but I have to say it now. Russell Wilson, back to that real quick, continues to be the cringiest player in the NFL. It feels so fake. And so many people have been on this for years now of how weird he is with his answers in press conferences, with how he acts in interviews, his social media presence. It reminds me of Alex Rodriguez, where there's so much social awkwardness and anxiety that he just steers into completely the only thing he knows, which is being Mr. Unlimited and being amazing and his legacy and the God stuff that you talked about. It is one of the widest disparities in talent and connection to the fans and the public. I don't even know how people in Seattle 
loved him for so long. Clearly, they didn't love him the right way because of how they treated him on Monday night. And now Broncos fans are putting all their eggs in his basket, as they should, because he's an amazing talent. But it is so freaking weird how he acts. And it's uncomfortable to watch. So I just want, I just want to say that. I just need to get off, off my chest. Um, a game that I'm looking forward to in week two is Saints-Buccaneers. You just mentioned the Saints, the Saints and what they did against the Falcons, the impressive second half. Jameis Winston not making big mistakes, utilizing his weapons. This is the test. This is the one where the Saints have owned this matchup since Tom Brady uh, joined the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Right now, the Bucs are minus three at New Orleans, which really tells us if this was in Tampa, it'd probably be five and a half or something in that range. So I, I don't know what the number's telling me right now. I lean towards taking the Saints plus three or taking them plus nine even better in that type of teaser. But this is this is the one where we can look at the Saints now if they truly compete, even if they don't win, but if they keep it within a touchdown and they play a good game, Jameis doesn't look overwhelmed. He's not getting bull rushed by their defensive line and Kamara shows up again. We might continue to think that the Saints will be the thorn in the side of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And Tom Brady, obviously that dude, we all know this. Their weapons a little depleted without Chris Godwin. Julio Jones looked very good. You know, the Saints are familiar with him as well. So that is the that is the game in week two that I want to see. Is this trend over the past three years of Brady being a Buccaneer going to continue? Are the Saints going to be for real? That is what I'm most looking forward to, especially in the one o'clock slate. Yeah, that was that was uh, my number one, uh, and I'm glad that you said it because I had some others that I wanted to touch on. Um, so I'm going to throw out, you know, two, maybe three, really quickly here over the next minute and a half, just because I know we got to wrap. Um, but first and foremost, I want to see uh, how the Giants respond. Right? I mean, we're talking about that game with the Panthers. Baker Mayfield, Robbie Anderson makes his return to MetLife. See how the Giants' secondary fares with him. How they fare with McCaffrey. I want to see if the Giants can back up a win, a really impressive win in week one. Patriots and the Steelers. I want to see if the Steelers can, you know, they're, they're a one-and-a-half-point underdog. They're at home. Uh, no, you know, again, no T.J. Watt. So Patriots, Mac Jones won't have to deal with that. I mean, are they going to get off the mat? If they're 0-2, you could basically kiss the Patriots' season goodbye, right? I, yeah, I'm not going to actually have any doubt with saying that. If they lose this game on Sunday, you can kiss the Patriots' season goodbye. There's no way they're going to be making the playoffs after an 0-2 start with two games that they could have won, you know, two tight games on paper that they could have won. They've got to go win to Pittsburgh. They've got to beat the, the Steelers. They've got to beat Mitch Trubisky. This is a game where I don't give a fuck if it's Joe Judge or Patricia or Belichick calling the plays. you got to find a way to move the ball, and that defense – has to get some takeaways. I, it's, again, it's Mitch Trubisky. So that I'm excited for that game in the 1 o'clock window. Also, Dolphins-Ravens, right? I mean, here's a, here's a defense that with everybody coming back that they had injured last year, they're athletic enough, I feel like, to maybe foil Miami's game, game plan of two of with the short balls to, to Waddle and a Tyree kill. And let's not forget, Miami kicked the shit out of Baltimore last year, beat them by double digits. Um, so this is a bit of a revenge game here for Lamar. It's another chance for him to ball out. Can't wait to watch that game. And then just looking ahead, Monday night, I am very excited to see how Tennessee responds on the road at Buffalo. There is a lot of – and just from a betting standpoint, Pete, I can't wait. You might see Patty B alter the strategy a bit because there is a couple of double-digit spreads at the time being that should not be double-digit spreads. I'll just leave it at that. And Monday night, I think, is another one. 
Yes, Buffalo looks unstoppable. They look unbeatable. But again, Tennessee beat them last year. It was in Tennessee. I'm not ready to throw Tennessee's season out the window because of how the way they, they collapsed in that game against the Giants. I still think they are a solid team, and I think they have a game plan in place to compete with Buffalo. Ten points is a lot, man. So I'm excited to see. if Look, if Buffalo blows the doors off them, I mean, you're, they're going to be favored by like a minimum of seven points every single game from here on out. And I've said it time and time again, Bills are going to win the Super Bowl, so I'm still sticking with that no matter what. But I want to see some life from Tennessee on the road. We get the, with the twin bill, the doubleheader Monday night. Can't wait for that. Week two, hopefully betting-wise, will be a lot better for us in week one. Yes, and we'll make those picks. You'll see them on Friday. I can't wait for that. I'm going to stick with two NFC, I'm sorry, two NFC West teams for other games I want to look for. It's bounce back season in week two. And what are the Rams and 49ers going to do? We talked about 10-point spreads right here. We got two more of them right here, Pat. We got the Rams at home. Minus 10 against the Atlanta Falcons. The Falcons, who showed some life, especially in that first half. The Rams, who got blown out by the Buffalo Bills on Thursday night in week one. This is a response. This is a time where the defending champs have to say, all right, week one, let's throw it out. It's gone. We got to figure out how to use somebody else who's not named Cooper Cup and get this offense cooking a little bit. They should obviously win this game. A 10-point spread, it feels aggressive right? Like is Vegas telling us that they really think the Rams are going to blow the doors off the Falcons or are they begging us to just say, Oh, Rams Falcons, obviously Rams win by double digits. That's always the big question. Same thing goes with the 49ers and the Seahawks. I can't believe that that spread is minus 10. That one stinks, Pat. That one stinks. That's where I overthink it myself. And I do mental gymnastics on myself here and say, Oh, the 49ers look terrible in week one and they're still a 10 point favorite. The Seahawks uh, looked pretty good in week one and they're 10 point dogs. I have to almost take the 49ers there because Vegas is telling me that they don't think the Seahawks are legit. And they're telling me that week one for the 49ers was an abomination and doesn't count. Might as well have not happened. Now, I don't know if I'm going to make that one of my picks, but my initial inclination is that exact thing. Yeah, I, I, Pete, I, I, maybe I'm not the ultimate fuck you Vegas sharp guy, um, but I feel like you rely too much on what Vegas says. Like, fuck that. That, that line's absurd. I, I'm, absurd. I'm telling you right now, one of my picks right now, I don't even think I'm going to mess around with a teaser. I'm going Seattle plus 10, and I'm probably sprinkling some on the money line. That line is stupid. And maybe that's because I'm a big Trey Lance hater, and I don't think he's very good, and I'm not going to just throw away their week one performance against Chicago due to the rain and the monsoon. Because they could have run the ball. They could have ran the ball, and they didn't. They didn't run the ball very effectively at all. So I am not a big believer in San Francisco. I will absolutely, I'm telling you right now, I'm putting Seattle plus 10 in as a bet this week. I, not, I might not even need to screw around with the teaser there, give them even more points. I think 10 is absurd. And out of the double-digit spreads we have on the board right now, which is Falcons-Rams, Seahawks-Niners, Texans-Broncos, Bears, Packers, Titans, Bills. Usually you start seeing double-digit spreads in week three. We've already got five of them in week two. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to make a prediction that I'm going to say by Sunday morning, only two of those will still be double digits. The other three will be bet down to single digits. I like where your head's at. Why are we making teams that looked abysmal in week one double-digit favorites? And you're right. I do rely on that a bit because I try to I try to outthink what the general person's going to feel. And I think that, and it, you know you could really mess yourself up with this, and I do it on occasion. I did it last week with the Patriots, uh, for example A. But 
if the average person says, what happened? The Niners sucked last week. Why are they 10 point dogs? Seattle plus 10. Now I'm not going to do that blindly. I'm going to wait and see where the money comes in. And granted, I might miss it. Like you said, that spread might change and I might miss the 10 point spread and it might go down. Maybe I think that's in my favor. Who's to say, but how teams like the Broncos and 49ers and Rams who were terrible in week one are 10 point favorites against anybody, especially teams that didn't look terrible. It, it does boggle my mind a little bit. So I'm with you. I got to do that with caution for sure. But it's just how my brain automatically thinks about it. And, and I'm going to see how the money rolls in going into Thursday night, Friday and, and see what happens. And and look, I'm, I'm sure if, if all five spreads right now at 10 points, I'm sure probably you know, two or three might even cover two or three might cover the double digit spreads because, you know, again, just like I said, with San Francisco looking terrible, you know, that's not a general assumption, um, you know, because teams will look bad in week one and will bounce back in week two. Exactly. Like you said, that is going to happen. But, you know, and from my standpoint, a believer that San Francisco is not a very good team. That's a spot where I am going to hammer Seattle because uh, Geno Smith did look good uh, through most of that game, did not turn the ball over. Uh, so that is a spot where, yeah, you can read too much into week one, but if you have your beliefs, if you have your inclinations, if you're like me and you don't think Trey Lance is the answer at quarterback, if you don't think San Francisco is a great team like they were last year, um, then yeah, then take, take that 10 points with Seattle and run with it. Um, you know, I could easily see Denver covering the 10. Uh, that one's probably going to, uh, probably going to be a stay away from me as good as Houston did look, uh, for most of that game against Indianapolis, um, Packers, like they probably should be a 10 point favorite. That's a team where if you're going to say, here's the bounce back game coming, I would say it would be from Green Bay Sunday night at home. And they historically dominate the Bears, right? And and also what these numbers are, are daring us to do is to employ the 10 point three team teaser and get the Bills down to a money line, the Packers down to a money line, the Niners or the Rams down to a money line. One of those teams is going to blow it. There, like like Mark Shen Lugan said, there's always that big money line bomb waiting to blow up. And this week, between the Rams, Niners, Packers, and Bills, and I think there's one more you mentioned, the Broncos, one of those teams will likely come up very short. Very short. So I agree. It's, it's a sketchy thing. And in reality, there are probably numbers that you should just stay away from until you actually get a better sense of what these teams are. Last game for me, now we talked about half the slate, but another Monday night game, Vikings. We're hyped about them. They're at the Philadelphia Eagles. We expect them to win their, their division. We expect the Vikings to win their division. Right now, Pat, Eagles minus two. A I, already, bit, I already know you're going to have a Vikings bet. I already know it. They're begging me to tease them again. They're begging me to tease them again. Now, listen, Monday night, if this number is still minus two for the, for the Philadelphia Eagles, we got maybe a nine and a half or a nine for the, for the Buffalo Bills. You combo those Monday nights and you got a beautiful teaser laying out there for you. Now it's a little scary. That's why they call it a teaser. We get it. But I mean, hey, the Vikings being an underdog this early in the year, uh, again, at the Eagles, that means they're pretty much even if this is neutral sided, be about uh, a money line pick, whatever. And I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I can make that a real pick there, but you know me with my Minnesota Vikings for some reason. They are mine. I don't know why. I'm not even a fan of their team particularly. This number is screaming for them to be teased up to plus eight. And do the Eagles have it in them after what we saw in week one to win a game dominantly? You know, they can win by three, absolutely. But you tease those Vikings up to eight. You got to be feeling good about that. Yeah. 
I mean, look, I'm already penciling. Uh, in my Pete Kennedy bingo card, I'm already penciling in there will be a Vikings bet this week again. I know. Oh, man. Listen, until they steer me wrong, which they have before, but until they do it again and again and again, and then maybe I'll reconsider. Oh, my God. Pat, what an episode. Another great time talking football with you. This has been an absolute blast. Every time we do it, it always is. And shout out to you for spending the time with me every week to do so. And we're going to be doing it more with our picks every week as well. What a time. What a time, Pat. Any last words for Subway Sports Talk? Anything to plug with you on air or anywhere else or whatever, life? Yeah, no, I will be um, back on the air hosting on CBS Sports Radio late Saturday night, early Sunday morning, 2 to 6 a.m. So there'll be plenty of college football to react to as well. And then a lot of NFL Week 2 preview uh, for the big Sunday ahead. So I appreciate it, Pete. Always a blast hopping on with you here, man. You're the man in terms of turning around all this content. You're the man behind the mic. You're the man behind all the editing. You're the man behind the entire project. So this would not be a thing without you. And uh, always love coming on, chatting football with you, brother. Well, thank you, my guy. I appreciate it as always. And and what you do here is not is not uh, unappreciated either. And, and you know, I'll, I got to say this. I got to be better with getting out some more content of our own on social, especially with the picks. And I will do that this week. Last week, I had a wedding on Saturday, we recorded Saturday morning, which was already behind. And uh, I got to be honest, I was hurting on Sunday morning. So I was unable to cut up any video. I was hardly able to look at my phone, let alone eat anything. I had this beautiful, beautiful sandwich from this place called Pastosa. They got one down the shore by my girlfriend's house originally in Brooklyn, three of them in Staten Island. What a beautiful Italian delicacy. And I had this sandwich sitting there hours pat i couldn't even look at it until like 3 30 it was bad it was so bad <laughs> jeez what, what was the drink of choice on saturday um it was tequila oh, but yeah. but i don't want to blame tequila i want to blame myself i want to wear this one wear it right here right on the chin i'm doing a great job drinking tequila and water because the seltzer sometimes you know messes with my tummy so i hear a lot of people doing tequila waters i don't know if i could ever do it myself no, it's good. It's not bad. Tequila water with some lime, maybe a lot of lime if you if you may. But then at the post-wedding party, that's when things got frisky. You know, somebody knocked over one of my drinks. They say, oh, don't worry. I got you back. Oh, don't, don't even worry about it. They bring me a shot of tequila. Now I'm feeling frisky, Pat. You know how you, that goes. You feel that gasoline right in your chest. Ooh, it was warm, too. It was warm. Hopefully people aren't feeling some type of way on a Wednesday listening to this and they're going to get a little curdle in their stomach, a little sweaty tongue. And then, and then it was downhill. It was downhill from there. We woke up, we watched a ton of football, but the, uh, the social media action was, was not sharp for me on Sunday. <laughs> so I'll be better this week. I promise. Don't worry about it, dude. <laughs> <laughs> That's all we got. Subway sports talk. Thank you guys as always for tuning in, especially y'all who stay to the end of these episodes, I love it. I love you guys. And thank you. Subscribe, rate, review on your podcast app. Subscribe, hit the notifications bell on the YouTube. Tell your friends. Hit us up on social media at Subway Sports Talk, at Pat Boyle 44 at Pete Kennedy with two Ys on the end. That's how we do it. We'll be here all year long. Subway Sports Talk, y'all. Cheers. <laughs>